Let's pray. Lord, today in this place, by the word of God, open our eyes. By the work of the Holy Spirit, illuminate us to the truth that we would not be taken by fables and by words of men, but that we would find our root, we would find our mooring in the truth of the word of the living God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jesus came to this earth, the Bible says, to destroy the works of the devil. And at the cross, we see God's power over Satan when he crushes the serpent's head through his death. We see it prophetically in the book of Revelation where we see Satan bound for a thousand years and then released for a short time and then thrown into the bottomless pit forever. We see the power of Jesus Christ over Satan when he was tempted in the wilderness after not having food for 40 days. But we also see our Savior display his power over demons throughout his earthly ministry as recorded in the Gospels. We saw the power of Christ as he ministered to people and he freed them from demonic activity. Let's look at a few examples of that. Take your Bible, turn to the, today to Matthew chapter 17. This, this teaching, like last Sunday, normally we just teach verse by verse through the book of Acts. This is our passage today in Acts. This is where we are. But today, I really want to focus more on a topical approach again, like last week. So let's look at a few examples of Jesus expelling demons. Matthew 17, 14. And when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly. For often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him. And the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible for you. Mark's gospel adds on the same story, Mark's version, he says, And, he, and Jesus said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Which, by the way, was the Old Testament, not formula, but the pattern of dealing with demons was by prayer and fasting, okay? Uh, in Mark chapter 1, I'll just read it for you. We won't be here long. Go ahead, if you will, and turn to Luke 4, and we'll pick up at verse 33. Luke 4, 33. Let me read for you while you're turning the pages. Let me read from Mark chapter 1, verse 34. It says, And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. 
So that's interesting. Here Jesus Christ not only is capable of expelling demons, but he's capable of controlling them. He did not allow them to speak. Now here's one more, Luke 4, 33. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon. And he carried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Notice that this demon is mocking Jesus to a degree. The others did not mock Jesus. An unclean demon, it says. Have you come to destroy us? Why would he say that? Because he knows that in the end, Jesus will destroy them. He knows the truth. And I know who you are. The Who is he? The Holy One of God. You want proof that Jesus is God? The demon tells you the truth. Even the demons know who he is. But Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in the midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed, and they said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, you might want to circle that or underline it. What is this word? Because with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. So those are several illustrations of Jesus having control and power over demons. Now I want to show you something that most people who study the Bible have missed. And it's an important point in regards to how Jesus expels demons. Are you ready? It was never a case of exorcism. Jesus never once exorcised a demon. When I use the word exercise or exorcism, I'm talking about some formula, some pattern, some process, some way of making, forcing the demon to come out, and there's a fight, and there's a battle, and then finally the demon comes out. That's what an exorcist is, as you and I know, whether it's by the movies or you've read something in some book. That's what exorcism is. But in the case of Jesus Christ, it was never an exorcism. It was always the case of authority. Authority. I want you to notice that in all instances where Jesus dealt with demons, there was never a struggle involved. There was only absolute authority on display. And there were times when Jesus endued, he, he gave to his disciples this same power to restrain demons. Remember when he sent them out, 72 disciples by two? Remember that? <coughs> Excuse me. And they returned and they said to Christ, uh, write the verse down, Luke 10, 17, if you want to write it down. Luke 10, 17. They came back after going out. Jesus sent them out. They came back and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. In other words, the same power that you use over demons you gave to us, and the demons responded to our plea as they did yours. When it says, in your name, it's not referring to a magical formula that if you say, in Jesus' name, 
okay? Because if you're going to read this text, as you just did, that's what this guy did. In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches. That didn't do anything except make the demon even angrier. It's not about the name. It's not about you quoting the name. There's no magical formula for dealing with demons. I want you to see this. It means that Jesus gave them his power for special times. This was a special granting of his power in the gospel account. In the book of Acts, after the Holy Spirit had come, the apostles had this power. So Jesus didn't only give this power at times to his disciples in the gospels, but even in the book of Acts and books following, but really just the book of Acts, he gave, he endued his apostles with this authority. Acts 5.16, write it down, Acts 5.16. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. So now the apostles have the same authority, not an exorcism. They're not following some magical formula. Jesus has endued them with his authority. If you look at verse 12, it says, Now many signs and wonders, back in Acts 5, verse 12, Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. So Jesus passed on to his apostles an authoritative power over demons. Now I want you to hang on to that thought. We're going to come back. I want you to notice the chronology of all of this in the New Testament. First, in the Gospels, the four Gospels, Jesus cast out demons by his authority. Then, in the Gospels, Jesus at times gave to his disciples that authority. He endued them with that authority. Then, after the cross... After Satan's head was crushed, Jesus endued that authority to his apostles who founded the church, who launched the early church, who ministered the name of Jesus, the gospel, to people in the world. And the apostles were given that power on the basis, not of exorcism, but authority. They, not once in the book of Acts, does an apostle struggle with a demon? Now, now listen, if you've ever thought about demonic activity and you've thought about possession or you've heard about possession, generally speaking, the demon puts up a fight. That never happened in the Gospels. It never happened in the book of Acts. Whoa, that's different. That's different. It, was an, it wasn't an exorcism performed. It was Jesus' authority that was in doing them. They just spoke and it was done. I believe that this was one of the unique apostolic gifts given by Christ at a period of time in the book of Acts when the church is being born, when the gospel is now. They are, Jesus commanded them to take the gospel into the world. They're doing that and so at times, they needed a sign, a wonder, to get the people's attention so that they would listen to the words of the gospel. It gave credibility 
to their message. It was a very unique time. I want to address what I believe is a real misunderstanding in the church today. I think there is a notion in the evangelical church that the demon possession and casting out of demons was commonplace in Scripture. But that is not true, and I'm going to prove it. It's very uncommon in the New Testament that demons were cast out. It's rarely referred to in the Old Testament and outside of the Gospels. In the Gospels, there were numerous times. But after the Gospels, after Christ went to the cross and was resurrected, crushing the head of Satan, and now living in the hearts of his people, listen, it's hardly ever referred to in the book of Acts or even later. Ever. It's hardly ever I want you to take the time to research that. I think it's going to astonish you. It's not going to line up with what you've always thought. And because it happened more commonly in the ministry of Jesus, we assume that that is for us today. The reality is, I think the church, in a subculture in the church, is preoccupied looking for demons behind anything that's wrong and trying to cast out demons. That was not the practice of the early church. It was the practice of Jesus. But what? why? Because he's the son of God who's come. Satan is going to do everything he can to distract and try to destroy the mission that God has put Jesus on on the earth. So you see all this demonic activity surrounding Christ. But once Satan has been defeated on the cross... You hardly see any activity of possession that the apostles and really nobody beyond the apostles in the rest of the New Testament. I, I just let that settle in for a second. The teaching portions of the New Testament, Romans through Jude, they refer to demon, demonic activity, yet they do not discuss the actions of casting out demons. Now, these are the teaching Doctrines of the church. The book of Romans through Jude, those are strong teaching, teachings that are given. Nothing about casting out demons. Nor are believers exhorted to do so. Instead, we, we're told to put on the armor to stand against demons. That's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 18. We're told to resist the devil and if you resist the devil, he will flee. Be careful of him, 1 Peter 5.8. And don't give him room in your life, Ephesians 4.27. However, we're not told how to cast him out or that we should even consider doing so. Nowhere in the New Testament following the gospel. Nowhere. Not even evidence of it, not even examples of it among the apostles, very few. So the book of Ephesians gives clear instruction on how we are to have victory in our lives in our battle against the forces of evil. Write these three things down, if you will. If you want to know, here's my point. My point is simply that I think we make way too big of a deal about demonic activity. Is it real? Yes, it is. Should we be praying? 
In the heavenlies, yes, we should. Should we put on the whole armor of God? Absolutely, the Bible calls us to do so. But the Bible does not, in the New Testament, call believers to take up arms and try to cast out demons and spend your time trying to do it. It just doesn't. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you find that what I'm sharing with you today is, is shocking? I was never told this. And what you have are Christians who have taken something out of context. They've not seen the book of Acts as a transitional book. It is a book of the transition from the time of Christ to the early church. And so in that process, Christ gave his apostles endued power to deal with demons. But once the church was established, the turn now comes to something totally different. Here are three things that every Christian, if you want to stand against evil, you want to battle the forces of evil, number one, here it is. Here's how you do it, let me tell you. And boy, did God make it simple. Number one, put your faith in Jesus Christ. Number one, why? Because he breaks, because he breaks the rule of the prince of the power of the air. Satan is no longer the prince over a believer. When you're an unsaved person in this world, he is the prince. Satan is the prince. He has authority. He has power. God's allowed him for a season to have it. But once Christ lives in you, greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. Number two, put off ungodly habits and put on godly habits. How do you do it? By the grace of God. Take off the old man. Put on the new man. Walk in the freedom that Christ has given you. Saturate yourself in his word. Take your Bible and turn, if you will, uh, let's see, to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20. We should not get involved in casting out demons, but rather renewing our minds. That's how you take off bad habits and put on good habits, by the renewing of your mind, Ephesians 4.20. But that is not the way you learn Christ. <laughs> Strong word here. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self. Is he saying that God's supposed to do that for you? No, he says you do it. Just as the Bible says, humble yourself in the sight of God. You put off the old. You confess your sins. You want to stay, you want to make sure that Satan has no hold, no, no position against you. Confess all sin that you're aware of in your life. You live a holy life. You, you surrender to Jesus Christ. He, he goes on, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Know the word to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. As long as those sins remain in you, that corruption remains in you. And now you're giving Satan a foothold to come and hassle you. But when you confess it, you don't need an exorcism. Satan is not in you. 
There's no way if you're a Christian and Jesus lives in you by the Holy Spirit that Satan can possess the same body. He cannot. A Christian cannot be possessed. So all Satan can do from the outside is try and just wear you out. But if you will confess your sin, he has nothing, no foothold on you. Look at verse 23, and, and, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. How do you do that? You refresh yourself in the word of God and to put on the new self that you find in the Bible. Go to the book of Colossians if you want at, on your own, not now, and you'll see who you are in Christ Jesus created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25 of our text here in Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, put away the lies. You say, well, I don't think I'm in lies. You don't know it. That's what deception is. Deception doesn't let you know anything. But here he says, you need to put down the falsehood. So how do I know whether or not I'm believing truth or a lie? Because you, when you're in the word of God, it becomes clear to you. It'd be like walking around with a whole billfold of counterfeit bills, and you don't know it until somebody says, hey, take those bills out of your wallet, lay them here, and then next to them, I'm going to lay some authentic dollar bills, and you study the two. And now because you know what the authentic looks like, you can easily see how the other's inauthentic. You've got to know the word of God. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Sometimes we can't see the sin in our life. We need to open ourselves and allow our neighbors, our Christian friends, to speak to us, to, to show us the error of our way. For we are members of one another. That's, that's one of the reasons why we should be in a fellowship of believers. Because not only do I help my brothers and sisters, but they help me. Amen? So important. It is after these practical instructions on how to obey God as his children that we are reminded that there is a spiritual battle. And here's the third thing. If you want to stand against the enemy, put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand against, not cast out demons, not deal with the trickery of some formula, but chapter 6, verse 10 of Ephesians, put on the whole armor. In verses 10 through 18 of Ephesians 6, we're told to stand with truth, we're told to stand with righteousness. We're told to stand with the gospel. We're told to stand with faith, stand with salvation, stand with the word of God, and stand with prayer. It's all there in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. That's your focus of a believer. In other words, stop making Satan the centerpiece of your attention. You make the word of God the centerpiece of your attention. And when Satan shows up trying to, in some way, tempt you or pull you off course, you ask, ah, shut up. Shut up and sit down. Amen. I had a, when I was in high school, this is way back in the day, boy, would the woke culture go crazy over this. I had a math teacher, and man, he was brilliant. And in our class, the first day, he, he was part funny and playing and part serious. And here's what he would say. The first day of school, he'd look at the names, read the names here, 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 here. And then he said, now we're going to forget names. I want to number you off. Start over here. You're number one. Let's go. One, two, three, four, five. So he would number us, and he wrote it down on a floor chart. 
And so when you were cutting up, he would, he would stop and he'd say, number 12, I need you to sit down and shut up. And buddy, you found the nearest thing that looked like a seat. Why? Because back in that day, you could get paddled. And Mr. Summer, the science teacher, in his demented mind, created a paddle that really knew how to sting right at the base of the buttocks. So you listened. Now, here's the problem with that math teacher. He was my cousin. Wow. But we are told to stand, church. When Jesus came, he came in absolute authority over demons. He passed on that authority to his apostles, and they did the same thing. And you say, why did God give them the authority and not us? God gave them the authority for the confirmation of the word, which was just going out into the world. Why not us? Because you have all the word. We don't need to measure somebody whether or not they represent God by some sign or wonder today. We measure them by what the Bible says. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. Okay, how do I know the fruit? Because it's in here. You see the difference? Your life is dependent upon the word of God, not some, you know, method or technique or formula that removes Satan. It's so often that man is likely to blame Satan for his sins. And the reality is, Flip Wilson was right. He said, the devil made me do it. Well, that's exactly the way the culture today sees it, but that's not true. Oftentimes, we give Satan credit when it really is just our flesh. And when Satan's hampering you and just really coming after you, oftentimes, it's because you've got unconfessed sin and you're not willing to deal with it. So the easy way out, let me just get somebody who can exercise this demonic activity in my life. Come on, grow up. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. You don't need that nonsense. Now, there are some people today who are still trying to function in an apostolic fashion. Let me make a couple simple statements about this. Number one, the power of Jesus Christ alone overrules Satan. No man overrules Satan, okay? There's just no way. Second statement, no demon can overpower Jesus Christ. So why would you ever seek out a person to deal with a demon in your life when you've got Christ who overpowers demons living in you and they can never overpower him? Amen? See, it's what you know, the renewing of your mind, that gives you the victory that you need in your life. There's no need for exorcism. I'm going to blow your mind right now. Guess how many times in the entire New Testament, including the Gospels, where Jesus cast out and expelled many demons, guess how many times the New Testament uses the term exorcism? One time. One time. And it's in our text right here today that was read by Maureen. One time. And guess what? It didn't work. The one time an exorcism takes place in Scripture and it doesn't even work. So we need to focus on the right things that the Bible teaches and get off the wrong stuff. Okay? Colossians 2.9 
9 through 10 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, church, who is the head of all rule and authority. That Jesus is in you if you're saved. So, do I lack anything as a believer to deal with the enemy? Take your, I'm glad you asked that question. Thank you. Take your Bible, and I want everybody to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I want you to see this. We're going to wrap this thing up here in a moment. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I want, to get, I want to get to our text and make a general observation over it. We've kind of dealt with it on the front side, and we'll, we'll come back to it here at the end. But right now, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Do I lack anything as a believer to deal with life and godliness, to deal with Satan in this life? First, 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has granted to us all, who is Peter's audience, Christians, you, me, things that pertain to life and godliness. Let me read that again in total. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption, everybody here that is a Christian has, no sin has to befall you. You don't need a besetting sin. You don't need any habitual sins. So that you can escape the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. I'd love to just preach that, but we can't. For if those qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If right now you struggle with stuff in your life, there's probably something connected to sin that you've not yet confessed, it's, or it's that you've not been in the Word. You're not growing in the Word, knowing who you are in Christ, knowing the promises that Jesus has given you and walking in them. You're ineffective and you're unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. As Christians, it's possible that you've forgotten what Jesus has cleansed you of. And if you would simply remember that, whoo, the chains fall off. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. You have all things that pertain to life and godliness. You don't lack anything. If Jesus dwells within me, if the Holy Spirit dwells in me, I can deal with Satan and the power of Christ that is mine and mine alone. I don't need somebody's help to deal with Satan in my life. Now, unless I don't see some sin, 
and a godly brother or sister comes and tells me that, they are helping me. But it's not like you have to somehow go and have an exorcist performed or something that's going to try to cleanse. Did you know that the word exorcism doesn't belong in Christian's vocabulary? Because the New Testament doesn't give us any example of exorcism? Why would a Christian use that term? It's popular in the Catholic Church, but then a lot of the Catholic doctrine is man-made doctrine. It's taking Scripture out of context. Why would we follow that kind of a church? We should not. There's no place for this in the vocabulary. If you're filled with Christ, you can't be filled with, with something else. Okay? Now, the only time exorcism is mentioned in the New Testament and it didn't work. Look at our text today that was read to us, Acts 19, verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. That is not Paul with some kind of a supernatural aura. That was people who saw the work of Jesus or who saw the, saw the power of Christ endued to Paul. And by their faith, they were made whole. It wasn't, it's, never, it's never the man. It's always God. Amen? If any man gives you this impression that he's the guy, oh, run from that nonsense. So let's go further here. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, these guys were vagabonds. They actually had a ministry of exorcism. They undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. These men were not believers. They did not have Christ in them. And so their exorcism did not work. It turned out pretty bad for them, quite honestly. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And also many of them who were now believers came, look at this, the believers when they heard about it, they came confessing and divulging their practices. They were confessing their own sins, falling into the traps of exorcism and patterns of dealing with witchcraft. And a number of those who had, been, who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted the value of them and found it. It came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the, here it is. This is the key. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So Paul began his ministry in Ephesus along with Aquila and Priscilla. If you go back to verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. It was the word of God that was overcoming and prevailing in everything that was happening in the church. It was not some invoking the name of Jesus. We see that today a lot. In the name of Jesus, I command you. Um, Jesus is in you. Let Jesus deal with it. 
You don't need to say that. Just know that he's in you. He has given the power to you to overcome the enemy. And overcoming the enemy doesn't mean casting out the demon. It means standing in the whole armor of God. That was spoken to the church in Ephesus, where demonic activity was rampant. Paul didn't say cast out demons. He said, just know who you are and walk in Christ and grow in his word. And there's nothing by any means that shall harm you. So the keynote to the entire ministry of Paul in Ephesus is that very verse right there, verse 20. Powerful stuff. The number one feature of Ephesus was the temple of Diana, the worship of Diana, where Artemis <laughs> was grotesque, ugly, godless worship. And of course, it was a prostitute kind of worship with orgies that couldn't even be spoken of. It was a harbor for wickedness in that city. It was also a place where sorcery and witchcraft existed, along with all kinds of perversion, magical imposters and exorcists. No wonder Paul wrote back to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6.12, and this is what he said, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul was very much aware of demonic activity. It was real. But look at how he focuses the Christian towards standing in the word rather than trying to invoke the name of Jesus to deal with Satan. Just stand. Know that Christ is in you. Know with a renewed mind who you are in Jesus. Satan has no authority. No authority. He's already been defeated. Amen? If there is a ministry that is dominated and saturated with the word of God, there's a ministry in which Satan is defeated. Period. That's it. You know what makes the difference in the church today? You know what makes a difference in your life today? The teaching of the Word of God. You know what Paul wrote to the Ephesians later after he had spent three years with them? Here's what he said. To the elders of Ephesus, the men that he poured the Word of God in for three years. By the way, Paul is known for his you know, apologetic ability uh, going and reasoning with the Jews in the temple from the Old Testament that Jesus is Messiah. He's known for that. But Paul is also a shepherd. Guess what Paul did? It says in Ephesians that Paul went from house to house in that three-year period teaching Christ to the people, expanding their understanding of the kingdom of God from house to house pouring the word of God into them, that they would be built up in the word because they lived in a city that was absolutely one of the worst, right up there with Corinth. And he said to the elders as he was passing through on his way to prison, really, even though he didn't think he was going to prison at that time, but he, it was, he was on the course. And he stopped at the docks and he, the elders met him there. And he said, I want you to remember that while I was with you, I never shrunk back from teaching you the whole counsel of God. Why? Because he knew that that was the way they would have victory in this life. Stop looking for a formula. Stop chasing out what other people are doing. 
build yourself up in the word of God. If you don't feel like you're built up in the word, I'm just going to lovingly say to you, check yourself for sin. Let the Holy Spirit reveal to you, is there sin in your life that's keeping you from that fulfillment and that effectiveness as a believer, being able to stand strong against the enemy? This is what God has for each one of us. Amen? And Paul is the one who put it on the map for us. I love that. Paul said to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, it is the theme verse for Vero Bible Fellowship from day one. But I am afraid, lest as the serpent deceived Eve with his craftiness, that you might also be led astray from a simple and pure devotion to Christ. You don't need formulas. You don't need other means and ways. You just need to build yourself up in the word of God. It's simple and it is pure and it works. Amen? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that as one of the shepherds of Vero Bible Fellowship, knowing that I am in total agreement with the other shepherds, the elders of this flock. It is so important to us that this congregation, this flock of God, that you have given us uh, spiritual leadership in. It's not our flock, it's your flock. We are simply under shepherds. But we stand in agreement that the focus of Vero Bible today and going forward should always be to strengthen people in the Word of God. I pray that today this body has been strengthened and that they've come into clarification over some things that maybe they misunderstood. I pray that you would always let the Word speak and correct and, and, and teach us the way of truth. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen, amen. If you do need prayer, we have elders and we have prayer partners who will come to the front. Just come and speak to one of them about any need or a request. They will pray with you and even for somebody else, okay? God bless you.